Have you ever heard a preacher, or seen a preacher, it's usually a theatrical moment when this happens, say something like, repent now, believe, or else? I've always wanted to ask, or else what? They usually have a sign with some sort of offensive language to get your attention in one hand and then the other. There's a bullhorn or a microphone so that they can be louder over the traffic and the crowds that they've come to protest. It's as though they had forgotten what St. Paul wrote in the first verse of chapter 8 in the book of Romans. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. I want to repeat it one more time in case those folks are listening on the live stream. There is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. That's the starting point for today. And Paul has spent the last seven chapters of the book of Romans building a crescendo of grace to this point. Paul writes, therefore, because of the previous seven chapters, because we know that sin is bad and grace is good, because we have been rescued from death by Jesus Christ, the judgment that was expected, the condemnation that is deserved, no more. Because of God and Jesus Christ doing what we could not do, that being, that being living a life perfectly fulfilling God's law, all of us can now live new life in God's Spirit. Paul is systematically laying before the church the good of the good news of the gospel for all of creation. You see, Jesus perfectly upheld the law, all of the Jewish mitzvah, over 600 of them, in addition to God's top 10. Jesus did all of that on our behalf, freeing you and freeing me from the weight of the law. So that now we can live new life in God's spirit, rather than living a life of judgment and condemnation. You see, the old law said, do these things so that you can have fellowship with the Lord. Whereas life in the spirit says that what needed to be done, what must be done so that you can have fellowship with God, has been done for you, on your behalf. If there were bad news, it would be this. It's that a Roman eight mentality does not sell in Western Christianity. Romans, a Romans eight mentality doesn't sell in our own communities. We're always looking for the someone to blame in whatever predicament we find ourselves in. Meet someone that's at fault. And to find someone who is at fault, we have to judge. There's not a pastor who did this better in American Christianity than a man by the name of Mark Driscoll. Mark Driscoll is the former pastor of Marsill Church in Seattle, Washington. Marsill Church dissolved in 2015 after Driscoll was ousted as their pastor. We'll learn more about the rise and fall of Mark Driscoll and Marsill. There's a podcast. It's easy to find. It's called The Rise and Fall. Of and it systematically, like Paul, lays out how corruption and abuse can tear down the church. But that's a conversation for another day. But what you need to know is that in a sermon entitled Jesus Sweats Blood, Driscoll said this to his congregation. I'm quoting 
This is not Pastor Tier saying this. This is Mark Whistle. God hates you right now, personally, objectively, some of you. He said that in the church to a congregation. And if there were people in the congregation who thought, well, I'm not as bad as those people, so God obviously doesn't hate me, Driscoll had something for them. He said, God doesn't care if you compare yourself to someone worse than you. God still hates you. God hates you. He yelled over and over again. Now before you dismiss Driscoll as a lunatic French pastor, just someone I found on the internet, you need to know this. When Driscoll stood in front of this congregation and yelled, God hates you, there were 10,000 people in the room. And tens of thousands of people, tens of thousands of people online, like me, in sharing that sermon. Mark Driscoll's head is on my Mount Rushmore of what's wrong with American Christianity. That doesn't mean that messages like his are immediately dismissed by the congregations subjected to this theological and exegetical malpractice. Not a single person in that room stood up and walked out. I've preached in a sermon recently where I denounced American white Christian nationalism as a heresy in North Arlington. I received emails from members of my congregation telling me how wrong I was. There were people that stood up and walked out of the room. But when Mark Driscoll stood in front of his congregation and shouted and pointed that God hates you, not a single person got up and walked out. They did the contrary. They nodded their heads, they clapped, and they shouted amen. If you weren't sure what amen means, that means that's the truth. But it's not the truth. When it comes to Paul's crescendo of grace, Driscoll and pastors and Christians like him miss the grand therefore in Romans 8. It's as though they skipped Romans 8 entirely. If not, to include 1 through 7, as they did their theological gymnastics to get to the position where, yeah, we know sin is bad, but grace is, is far worse than sin. Paul wrote, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You already know this, but I have to say this anyways. Driscoll's wrong. And preachers like him are doing harm to the church and to God's creation. So who is against us? Who will condemn us? And who is our rescue? A wrathful and vengeful God is both mesmerizing and attracts our attention. It'll hold our attention for a while. It's all terrifying. Two Fridays ago, my wife, Allison, and I, well, uh, our youngest daughter, our only daughter, she's our youngest child, Nora, was at Grandma's house for a couple of days. We sat down to watch Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, with our ten-year-old. It's the best in that entire series. I don't want to get into an argument about that. <laughs> but, if you'll remember, we have Indiana Jones, Marion, Brody, Saul, and they are on a journey to find the Lost Ark before Belloc and the Third Reich get their hands on it. An ark was a container used by ancient Israel to hold and to transport the tablets that Moses brought down from Mount Sinai 
Ten Commandments, God's top ten. That way, the Nazis should know what was going to happen should they mishandle the part. I mean, Indiana Jones Jr. knew something was going to happen. Jones must have paid attention in Sunday school and heard the story of Musa. Musa was helping carry the ark, moving with King David into Jerusalem. A grand triumph for King David. And as the oxen pulling the cart hit a bump in the road, the ark began to shift back and forth. And Musa doing what most common sense people would do, put his hand on the ark, steady, so it wouldn't fall. But if you'll remember from Sunday school, 2 Samuel chapter 6, Musa is struck dead by God in that moment. The fear of God is struck in King David and the ark is delayed getting into Jerusalem. We can unpack that Sunday school story another day. But here's the point. It's not difficult. Given the complex stories from our holy scriptures with events and contexts in history that we don't understand thousands of years removed from them. But like Jesus' death, along with Hollywood's depiction of a vengeful God, or even the way many in the church will trade grace for condemnation, it's easy for many of us to conclude that God has an axe to grind with you. God has an axe to grind with creatures like me. And that razor sharp end of the divine axe is often depicted as uh, an eternal fiery punishment. Many within Christ's body, the church will portray God as a sadistic monster who hates sinners and just entangles them over a fiery pit for all eternity. If you were up to me, if you were up to me, I would cast pastors like Mark Driscoll as the Nazis in the next Indiana Jones flick. There's one out now, but they'll make another one because, you know, it's funny. Right? But it's the preachers of the false gospel, like Driscoll. That's the, those are the faces that I always melt when that ark was open. But as soon as I've done that, as soon as I've allowed that mentality to take hold of my body, as soon as I've painted them as the guilty ones, I have fallen under the same condemning judgment. The scandal of God's grace is that there is now no condemnation. Not for Mark, not for you, and not for me. In Christ, we have not only been permitted to touch the ark of God's commands, but we have also been welcomed to behold the face of God, to partake of God's body and bread and wine. And God has come to us in Christ to reveal the good news of his uncondemnation. That's the standard of grace. That God loves scoundrels and sinners and even a few saints alike. I shared the chapel note this past week about the scandal of grace. If you haven't subscribed to the chapel note, let me or Allison or John know. We'd love to get you signed up for that. But here's what the scandal of grace is. This is what Robert gave on uh, a late Episcopal priest wrote. Scandal of grace is that God's grace is not a reward for the righteous, but rather a gift for the unworthy. It's not a wage to be earned, but a scandalous overflow of God's love. Grace is God's relentless pursuit of the broken, the lost, and the undeserving. 
It is an audacious declaration that there is nothing that we can do to make God love us more. And there's nothing we can do to make God love us any less. Grace is wild, reckless, and is the extravagant love of God who refuses to give up on us even when we give up on ourselves. The good news is that when we reach the end of the crescendo of God's grace, we do not find condemnation. There's no judgment. All that's left is new life. Another pastor, I consider this pastor to be my pastor, so he's not on the Mount Rushmore of what's wrong. He's just a really nice guy. I think Brian's on, he's out in Missouri. But what you need to know, know about Brian is that Brian grew up hearing a condemning, judgment-filled gospel. And then he became a pastor, and he began his career by proclaiming the message of God's wrath and vengefulness. But then, in an act of public repentance, in a life-altering moment, Zod traded the vengeful, scare your pants off God of his youth and earlier ministry, the God reflected in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In his memoir, Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God, Zion echoes St. Paul in Romans chapter 8. He echoes the book of Hebrews, and he writes, God has a disposition towards sinners, and that's the spirit of Jesus. This is the beautiful good news of the gospel. God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There's never been a time when God was not like Jesus. We have not always known this, but we do now. God is like Jesus. God is not a sadistic monster dangling sinners over a fire. A wrathful God might make building a toxic megachurch that will collapse under itself. That might be a helpful tool for that. And a wrathful God definitely makes for a good Hollywood script. But that God is not the God that has been revealed to creation in Jesus Christ. Christ is the one who promises that nothing, not a thing, and no one can separate us from this race, through which we are all bound together. So, to the three questions in the beginning of the sermon. Who is against us? No one. Who will condemn? Certainly not God. Who is our rescue? Well, it's not who is our rescue, or who will be our rescue. Christ is already rescued.